Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. I will rise on eagle wings before my God fall on my knees and rise. What a wonderful song. I mean, really, and you sang it well. All of you, even the people behind me and the people in front of me. That or the speakers played tricks and it all circled around or something. But that, that was plumb good right there. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. How a Christian should look. Now, this morning we dealt with a subject of not quitting. We didn't say that we weren't doing a good job. We just said we're not allowed to stop. We didn't say that uh, what we're already doing is bad. We said, in fact, that we're probably doing a good job. We're just not doing enough of it. That the harvest is too plentiful. The laborers are too few. And the time to quit is not now. Now is just simply not the time to quit. And so tonight, uh, to kind of to spin off of that, we're going to look uh, at a text where we see the characteristics that would define the outlook and the outward look of a believer. And so please stand, if you're able, for the reading of the Holy Word of God from Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on a new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father God, We come to you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to be present in your house. And God, we pray that we would take this opportunity and that we would glorify you, Lord God. 
that you alone would be magnified. God, please bind any thought, any devil, or any demon right now and take it out the front door if it would hinder us from worshiping you for the next few minutes. God, draw us near to you. Show us what you would have us to see from your word. And it's in your precious, saving, heavenly name that we pray as all God's children said. Amen, and you may be seated. Now, we're, we're going to stop here in Colossians this evening. And I know we're looking at a lot of verses. I know some of you are thinking, that dude preached like 33 minutes on two verses this morning. And he just read 17 verses this evening. How long is this going to take? All right, I don't want you to worry about that. We're going to move quickly through these 17 verses. We're going to kind of take them in blocks. And then we may go revisit them over the next couple of weeks in smaller sections uh, in a little more deep fashion. But I want us to kind of look here at the entire block uh, as we start. But it's going to continue that thought. So this morning's message was intended to call us to examine ourselves. Examine what we're doing, how we're doing it. Are we doing it to the best of our ability? Are we doing it as often as we should be doing it? And how do we continue in doing that? And so this evening is going to cause us to, to examine ourselves a little closer and ask this question. Is this how I look and how I act? Is this what I'm doing in light of what the scripture teaches me that I should? So a little background here before we get to chapter 3 of Colossians so that we know where we're at. Paul is writing this letter. He's in his first imprisonment in Rome. So Paul is in a jail cell. And he is writing to the church in Colossae. Now, an interesting fact about the church at Colossae is that Paul had never set foot there. He didn't plan it. He didn't go there. He never preached a sermon there. He had never set foot at the church in Colossae at this time. But he had been pivotal in the conversion of the one who did found the church, and that was Epaphras. He had sent Epaphras there to where he was from in that hometown area, and he planted the church under Paul's uh, kind of direction. And so Paul is writing to the people at Colossae, having never been physically to see them. And he's kind of pinning this letter down. And as he begins to write it, he was writing it because he had heard that there was some heretical teaching that was infiltrating this church. Now in this time, what had begun to happen in this area is that people were teaching a theology known as Gnosticism. Nobody can spell it. It starts with a G. It sounds like it starts with an M. I don't understand it. But it's called Gnosticism. And what that means is, is it was a, a theology that belittled Jesus Christ. It said that he was less than God. He was not even a, a, a God. He was not fully God or he was fully man. And he was perhaps an angel at, at best. And Gnosticism implied this thought. If you attain enough knowledge, you too can become a godlike position. And so Paul begins writing this letter with this clear combat, com, combatant style in mind, if you read the first two chapters. So he, he comes in hard in these first two chapters with the theology of Jesus Christ. He's presenting Jesus as fully God. Jesus present in creation. Jesus as the only way that we are forgiven of our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. He, he, he talks about the importance of grace and how the grace of Jesus Christ trumps the, the Pharisaic law and living to the standards that had been the ways that they had put out in front of everybody. And as he pins these two chapters, I feel like Paul, as he did so often in his letters... 
writing the depths of Christ and the magnificence of the glory of Christ and just being so consumed with, with Jesus Christ and how amazingly wonderful that Jesus was, Paul began to kind of get excited. And he gets to kind of chapter 3, and I, I think that, that, that chapter 3, I just imagine Paul in his jail cell writing about Jesus, gets so consumed that he kind of hops up in his jail cell and has a little hallelujah moment. Anybody ever have a hallelujah moment? I've had a few hallelujah moments in my life, and everybody looks at me like I'm crazy when I have them. And I believe Paul in that jail cell had one of those hallelujah moments, and everybody probably went, what's wrong with this guy? And he said, don't worry, I'm just having a hallelujah moment. Let me write the rest of this letter. Uh, in fact, had the Baptist been present there, they would have flipped out. They said, whoa, 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 Paul. It's okay to raise one hand. Let's not ever get both in the air, all right? Don't, don't, don't do that, Paul. We're not, we're not ready for that. And so Paul gets excited, and he gets to verse 1 of chapter 3. And it's kind of a new thought that stems from what, he read, what he's written already. And it, it's kind of a, a transitional kind of area, kind of like when in Romans 12 when he says, therefore, and he says, you got to get all that before you can read all this. And he says, if then. So, so what he's saying is, if then you understand the magnificence of Jesus Christ. Paul says, if then. You understand what I've already written. In other words, if then you've gotten saved, if then you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then let's move forward with the rest of this. But there's no sense in reading the rest if you don't get that in place first. If you don't understand that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, then let's not move forward. So he says this introductory statement, if then you are a believer, then the first thing a Christian ought to do is look up. Look up. Look what he says there. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above. Look up. If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. The, the phrase there in verse 2, set your mind on things above, literally could, could translate better. Join me in loving heavenly things. That's kind of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, I'm sitting here focusing on heavenly things. I'm in a jail cell, but I ain't going to let it bring me down. I'm not going to allow my circumstances to shift my focus. My focus is still on the heavenly things. My focus is still on the things of above. And I want you to join me, church in Colossae. I want you to join me in focusing on these heavenly things. I want you to set your love. I want you to set your desire on the things that are from above. I want you to stop looking to fulfill your purpose with things of this earth, right? What was being taught to them? If you attain enough knowledge, you can be godlike. Paul was saying, quit seeking a status on this earth because it's not going to amount to a hill of beans in the end. You need to set your mind to something that's eternal. Set your mind to something that's forever. Quit looking to the right now. Quit looking to your pride and your selfish desires because they're not going to mean anything. And what does he go on to say? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Don't focus on things of this earth because if you're a believer, that earthly man has passed away. It no longer exists. You're a new creation in Christ. Why would you focus on fulfilling the prideful desires of the sinful man if the sinful man is dead? 
Paul's saying it really doesn't make any sense for you to do that. You've literally died to yourself and risen a new creation in Christ. And so we should be looking upwards, eagerly anticipating the day that Jesus would return or that we should be called up to be with him in glory. And so, church, i got to ask you this question this evening. We're going to move quickly through these. Is your focus heavenly? Is that where your focus is? Is your focus heavenly? Is it on the things that are eternal and the things that are of above and the things of God? Or is your focus inward and selfish and about you? That is the question that as a believer we have to ask ourselves. When someone looks at a believer, a true mark of a believer should always be that a believer is seeking the things that are heavenly. We talk about wanting a a new outlook or a new life or we want a new uh, feeling or we want a new ambition. But we don't want to start with a renewed mind. We don't want to start with a transformation that comes only from Jesus. We want the results without having to change anything about us. But it's simply not possible. If you continue to think the way you've always thought, you're going to continue to do what you've always done. Let me say that again. If you continue to think the way you've always thought, you're going to continue to do what you've always done. But you know the beauty of it? Scripture doesn't teach us that we can transform our own mind. I don't care what Joel Olstein or Dr. Phil tell you. You're not capable of transforming your own mind. The only thing scripturally that will transform a mind is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only thing that can transform a mind. Can you do better? Sure. Can you try harder? Sure. But can you change your mind? No. You cannot transform your mind. Only Jesus can do that. And so our blueprint for heading in the right direction starts with a focus on Christ. Our blueprint for heading in that right direction starts with a focus on Christ. So what next? First, as a Christian, we ought to look up. Second, as a Christian, we ought to look in. We ought to look in ourselves. Verses 5 through 7 deal with looking at ourselves and dealing with our sin in our lives. Paul lists specifically a few earthly desires. First, he lists fornication, or what we would call physical sexual sin, or any sex outside of the heavenly arranged marriage. Uncleanness. This could mean an impure blemish according to law. It could mean a generally spiritually impure motive or thought. It could be an inordinate affection. List uh, passionate desires to practice things that are prohibited biblically, such as laying with beasts or homosexuality. And then it follows with, with a phrase that some translations will call evil desires, as the New King James does. Some will ca- say con- con- concupiscence. It's the same thing, evil desires. Lustful desires for evil. So, so you don't... Just have these thoughts. You desire them. You lust after the evil things. So you want the evil things. You don't want the good things. Idolatry and covetousness. You notice a common theme with all of those things? Those are all sins of the flesh that focus on inward desires. Those all stem from your inward desires. They're not an outward thing that you do to other people. Those are things that come from a heart condition inside. 
covetousness. That's a tough word. Idolatry. Looking to what somebody else has and, and sinfully wanting it instead of being satisfied with what you have. It has nothing to do with what anybody else did. It has to do with you and your heart condition. Fornication, it's your decision to do what you do. Unclean desires, those are your desires. Evil desires, those are your desires. And so they are an inward set of sins that are all focused on the flesh. And Paul says as a Christian, not all these desires will necessarily disappear just because you come to know Jesus. But God's wrath will be dealt upon disobedience. And he says, you used to walk in these sins if you're a believer. So what he's saying is if you're a believer, these should not be where you walk now. This should not be the definition of your life now. This should not be the things that, that, that kind of describe who you are and what you're doing. If you're still walking in this disobedience, now I'm not saying if you ever slip into disobedience. I'm saying if you are walking in this disobedience, then you didn't really get saved, is what Paul is saying. And God's wrath is still going to be poured out against your disobedience. But if you're a Christian, that isn't you anymore. Which calls us to, to look at ourselves and ask this question. Have we been set free from our burden of sin? Because there's power in the blood. Paul says we must... Kill those members of ourselves that once gave in to these sins. And, and I know that this list isn't all-encompassing. I'm sure if we sat down and put our heads together, well, we could come up with some inward sins that are not uh, found on this list. But it's a pretty thorough list if you get right down to it. And I think really what Paul does when he makes this list is he said, you know what, I may have left one out. But you could just plug it in here into one of these somewhere. These kind of take everything and put it together. And so, so Paul says we don't have to be defined by these things anymore. If you are a Christian, then look up at heavenly things. And when you begin to look at heavenly things, it'll cause you to look in and look at the things of you that need to be killed away. And you know what the beauty of it is? Is that when you look to the heavenly things... And you look inside at your sinful fleshly desires. You know what Paul says here? He says you don't have to be identified by those anymore. You can leave them behind. Because there is power in the blood. You, you know what that means? Though you may have once been homosexual, you don't have to be homosexual anymore. You can be a Christian. Though you may once have been an addict, you don't have to be an addict anymore. You can be a Christian. Though, though you may have been identified as a liar before, you don't have to be a liar. You can be a Christian. And you know what your identity is when you're a believer? It's Jesus. Now, I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of freedom in knowing that my identity can be Christ and not my past if I'll focus on the heavenly things and look to the inward things. You don't have to live there anymore. And you know what happens when you stay there? You miss out on what God has in store for you. You know what? I don't normally go all best life now, Rick Warren, Joel Osteen. But you know what? The best life that you could live on this earth is the one when you're obedient to Christ. 
That's where it's at. It's when you leave that burden of sin behind and you fulfill that call that Jesus has in your life. But my friend, let me tell you, I'm going to look heavenly first because if this is my best life now, heaven ain't what I thought it was. I can't live my best life now. My best life will be then. But I can do what Jesus called me to do while I'm here. But I can't do it if I stay in that sinful life. So we have to look up. We've got to look in. But we'll also look out. Look at verses 8 through 11 with me. Paul says, in addition to looking at the self-satisfying sins, let's not forget that we are not to sin against each other. We will not give in to anger. We will not harbor ill will. We will not blaspheme to others. We won't allow filthy language to come from our mouths. We will not be dishonest with one another. We will not do those things because they are what? The ways of the old man. They're the ways of that earthly, pleasing, self-focused, sinful, hell-bound man. But we will instead realize that we're all created in the image of God and that we all display His glory here on this earth. That's what we're all here for. And so we shouldn't feel that we're better than any tribe or any nation. That's what verse 11 is saying. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. What he says, but Christ is all and is in all. There's no, there's no race problem. There's an identity problem. The identity is Jesus Christ. And what, did, what Paul says, none of the rest of that matters. doesn't matter what color you are. doesn't matter what creed you are. doesn't matter what nation you are. What matters is who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Is Jesus Christ your daddy? Good. Don't, the rest of it just don't matter. And so the focus Paul shifts to here is he says, listen, you've got to look to heavenly things. You've got to examine yourselves. And, and, and what are you doing to yourself? But you know what? How do you treat other people? How do you treat other people? I think this is an area we struggle with as believers quite often because we're pretty good sometimes at saying, well, I've been studying, I've been focusing on this sin of mine, Brother Jason. And I'm just, I'm thrilled that I no longer desire pornography the way that I once did. I I don't desire to to give in to the lusts of the flesh the way I once did. I, I don't desire to drink the way I once did. I don't desire to do... X, Y, Z, you name, you pick your poison, so to speak. Everybody's got something. He said, well, I've been really working on that. I've been really studying, and God has transformed my mind, and I do not desire those things anymore. And Paul would say, good, but do you still harbor anger or jealousy? Or do you still fly off the handle and and act like we're enemies when we're supposed to be brothers? Do you get along with the people at your local fellowship? Do you get along with the people at your job? Because if we can't love one another, then how are we going to work together to fulfill the great commission that Jesus has called us to? And what do people see when they see us as believers? Do they see a Christ-like reaction or do they see us respond in anger? Do they see us respond with the same language that the world uses? Or do they see us And say that, as they look outward in the way they treat people, they look different. And that's our final point this evening. We should look up to heavenly things. We should look in at ourselves. We should look out at the way we treat others. But perhaps most importantly, we should just look different. We should look different. Verse 12 kind of begins, and some of you may have a subsection 
you know, the big bold black letters in your Bible that call this section the character of the new man or the ways of the Christian or something like that. And these five, these five verses are incredible. We will definitely revisit these. But he's essentially saying a Christian should look different. The new man should look different than the old man looked. And he says, if you're a Christian, then you must realize the mercies that have been bestowed upon you. You were doomed for hell, but Christ saved you. Therefore, you should have kindness and humbleness and meekness and patience and forgiveness of one another. Even those who do you wrong, even those who would like to fight you, hurt you, or say bad things about you, you should forgive them. And how different is that look for a believer? To forgive those who probably don't, in an earthly fashion, deserve forgiveness. To forgive those who fight against us, who bring us down, it's not possible by the fleshly man, is it? Because he's consumed with what people deserve. But what does the Christian say? Thank God that we didn't get what we deserved. Thank God that God doesn't give us what we deserve. Because if he gave us what we deserved, we'd all be doomed for hell. And if we didn't deserve forgiveness, but God forgave us through Jesus Christ, then we shouldn't base whether or not we forgive somebody on whether or not they've earned it or whether or not they deserve it. We should forgive them based on the fact that we've been forgiven. And that looks different. That looks different to a world that says, look out for number one. It looks different to the world when they see a believer go into a storm. And everybody knows that that believer is walking through a storm. They know the situation. They see it. They know what's happening in your life. But for a believer to go through that storm and not turn to your fleshly wisdom, but instead depend on God, is different. The world doesn't see that in a normal reaction to bad things. In bad times, the world sees panic. But the believer says, I know who holds tomorrow. And I know he holds my hand. What a glaring testimony is that. That when somebody knows what you're dealing with, they would say, can you believe how well they handled that? Can you believe that? And then they say these words. It wasn't me. It was the power of Christ in me. What a testimony that is for a believer. So if we're going to excel more, if we're going to abound more, like we talked about this morning, we've got to look to heaven. We've got to examine ourselves. We've got to examine the way we treat others. And we, quite frankly, got to make sure we don't look like the world. We've got to look different. And so I ask you this evening to look to your life. And ask yourself this question, do I look different than the world around me? What, what's, what's in my life that I need to lay down? What, what inward desires am I dealing with that I need to leave here tonight? What is it that I need to give to God tonight that I might look different tomorrow? What, what 
outwardly focused things do I have? Who do I need to reconcile with? Whose forgiveness do I need to seek and who do I need to forgive that we might both move on serving the Lord in a better fashion? Because quite frankly, like we said this morning, now is not the time to quit. And you know what? Now is not the time to be less efficient than you should be as a believer. And if you're harboring those things, you are not fulfilling what God called you to fulfill. So will you leave those this evening at this altar or in that pew where you sat? And rise up and look different. Look the way a Christian ought to look. Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we come to you. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your mercy your loving kindness, your tenderness, your grace, Lord, that while we didn't deserve it, you saved us anyway, Lord. And God, we ask you would burden our hearts. Show us the areas of our lives that need to change. Give us the courage to call upon you for that change. Give us the conviction to repent and allow you to change us. And God, give us the humbleness to know that we cannot change on our own. But it's only through the power of Christ in us. God, we love you. We will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all you do in our lives and in this church. And it is in your precious name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.